It is episode 73 of the Annex Wealth Management SWAT podcast today, Monday, October 16th. Strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats, its insight and perspective from members of the Annex Wealth Management Investment Committee in the studio, Dr. Brian Jacobson, Chief Economist at Annex Wealth Management. Welcome. Great to be here. And we've got Jason Cooper on the line. He is a research analyst at Annex Wealth Management, part of the investment team. Welcome to you, Jason. Hey, Danny. So let's get started with uh, our overview about what to look out for. And when I look at the economic calendar for this week, I get a little excited, I have to admit. And maybe that's just because I'm an economist. But on Tuesday, we get retail sales numbers. We also get industrial production numbers and home builder sentiment. So if there is like one day in which you can get a really nice mosaic of the economy, I think it's going to be Tuesday as far as what's the consumer doing, what are businesses doing, and home building as well. Uh, Then on Wednesday, we get housing starts and permits and my favorite, the beige book. So the Federal Reserve, before their policy meeting, a couple of weeks beforehand, they always release this collection of anecdotes. And actually, they don't like calling them anecdotes. They prefer qualitative information. Uh, So it's qualitative information about what's going on in the various Federal Reserve districts. And then on Thursday, we get existing home sales. So that's on the economic calendar. But I couldn't help but notice earning season is here. And so Jason, um, you're you're the analyst on that. So uh, what's going on? What's on the calendar for earning season? Well, we kick things off on Friday with the release from numerous big banks, uh, those were pretty strong reports. But as we turn to this week, you know, from, from that mosaic perspective, Brian, it's equally as diverse. We're going to see defense companies release some earnings, Johnson & Johnson, Tesla, Netflix, Procter & Gamble, Union Pacific, American Express. It, it's going to be a great picture into what the last quarter brought, but also with respect to some of the forward guidance, what's likely to occur on a go-forward basis. So just out of curiosity, with earnings season, you obviously listen to a lot of these calls. Are there any companies that you most look forward to listening to? Uh, and it could be because, you know, maybe they're entertaining or because they're just you know really informative. Is there anything that kind of comes to mind as far as, uh, you know, when you're having to sit through those calls that you're actually looking forward to it as opposed to thinking that, man, this is going to be some more drudgery? I would say Costco. I mean, if you want to get a glimpse into what the consumer is doing, mm-hmm. either listen to Costco or a credit card company because they have all the data with respect to what consumption is looking like. If you want insight to maybe the industrial economy, something like Union Pacific's really helpful. They provide great insight with respect to what's been working uh, and what looks like it's going to continue to work. And then from a technology perspective, I mean, there's like the big one like Microsoft, but I really like Oracle just because they're their CEO. Tends to be very entertaining. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's fantastic. No, I, I, I like that. Yeah. Uh, so I, I guess we can kind of uh, now go through the whole SWOT format here as far as what are some of the strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. And so we'll start with um, maybe some of the headlines from this past week that uh, caught our attention in terms of pointing to different strengths and weaknesses. Uh, when it came to some of the uh, strengths, um, I mean, I, I'm thinking from an economic perspective that there wasn't a lot of economic strength. You know, there was some 
data that came out, but more of that was pointing towards weaknesses. Um, I was thinking that more of the strengths were on the market side, as far as maybe the way in which the market reacted to Hamas attacking Israel. It struck me that it seems like some of those um, classic defensives actually did their job this time. Uh, there's been a lot of hand-wringing over the last two years, really. You know, bonds, are they actually a safe haven? Is the dollar a safe haven? Is, what about gold? Uh, and it seems to me that uh, one of the strengths was that, oh, gosh, okay, classic defensives can actually do their job. I don't know. Did you get any impressions as far as uh, strengths from uh, the, the markets or from the fundamentals? On the earnings side, with respect to those big banks, I mean, JP Morgan, their profits increased about 35%. Wells Fargo and Citigroup are similarly strong. You know, not only was it profitability, uh, they've seen their net interest income do well, given the fact that they're paying effectively nothing on deposits still and able to extend loans at more favorable interest rates. But also with respect to the provision for credit losses, like at JP Morgan, it was only $1.4 billion. That was down from $1.7 billion in the previous quarter. And what that effectively means is they're not really seeing the prospect of uh, or likelihood of defaults accelerating, at least on a quarter over quarter basis. Moreover, from I guess a, uh, a solvency perspective, their tier one common equity across the board, it was just stronger. And part of that probably has to do with the prospect um, of ba Basel III being finalized. And they were talking about having some of the larger banks have higher tier one common equity requirements. But at the same time, all that really means is that if something does go wrong within the economy, the banks are sitting on a nice cushion of pristine collateral to absorb losses. Yeah. And with respect to commentary from JP Morgan, you know, consumer and community bank, they added three times more accounts than most peers, so they seem to be taking wow. share. And Jamie Dimon highlighted that consumers and businesses, they generally remain healthy, although consumers are spending down that excess cash buffer. And they also highlighted from a risk perspective that quantitative tightening and escalation of wars given the events that occurred in Israel previous weekend, it might be here to stay. And from a strength perspective, that message was similarly echoed across defense stocks. So companies like Northrop, Lockheed Martin, they rallied really strongly. And those are names that we had looked at in the past for some of our individual equity portfolios, but they were just trading at a, a premium to what we were comfortable paying based on their historic earnings. And unfortunately, it seems like the market was efficient in discounting that there might be a need for those companies products. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, you know, there, there, there was a lot of great information there. I'm kind of curious about the uh, valuation of some of those defensive or those defense stocks. I shouldn't call them defensive, right? They, they act in a defensive way. Sometimes we say defensive as far as when the broader market goes down, uh, you know, what's holding up relatively better, but defense stocks themselves, uh, those rallied with that conflict um, and with Hamas attacking Israel. I was kind of curious when I was um, just looking at some of the individual names, and I rely heavily on you to do really the hard work there. I'm more of the kind of armchair analyst and just a casual observer. Um, but to what extent is um, you know, the budget negotiations affecting these companies that are sometimes heavily tied to spending from the federal government? We know defense companies get 
a lot of their income from the federal government. But there's others as well. But uh, was there? Do you have any kind of feeling about that? As far as uh, was there a bit of an overhang at all um, with some of those defense names, thinking that well, you know, maybe some of the, the defense spending is going to get cut, something along those lines. In the past, yeah, that could have been a headwind. But even when you looked at companies on a valuation basis relative to the historic valuations that they traded at, maybe over the last five years, it's not like that headwind had driven them to levels that we would have considered attractive. Mm -hmm. Um, And that could have been a result of the fact that we had already had an increase in geopolitical conflict with the war in Ukraine. And even though some of the air came out of the stocks um, from a multiple perspective as that war progressed, they didn't get attractively valued. Mm-hmm. Now, I think I think to your point, the budget negotiations was an overhang with respect to potential uncertainty. Mm-hmm. But when you look at defense spending relative to GDP, it's not like we're at exorbitant levels. We're actually, mm-hmm. I think, closer to, to the lows than we are the highs. Mm-hmm. Um, and now, what, with what we're seeing in the Middle East, I don't expect that negotiations with respect to defense spending in particular mm-hmm. are going to have a whole lot of pushback. Yeah. Yep. I, that's that's really your area of expertise. <laughs> so what do you think? No, I agree. <laughs> and it's, especially when you look at um, from a global perspective, as far as government spending on defense relative to their uh, budgets and their economy, uh, there is actually probably a bit of a tailwind there. So these conflicts, uh, you know, it's not as popular to cut defense spending when you actually do see conflict on television and hear about it. Um, And there's already been plans to increase defense spending. I think that NATO itself has an agreement that, you know, the European countries need to increase their spending on defense because the U.S. has been doing a lot of the heavy lifting in the past, and they want to shift some of that burden now onto the other countries. So that could be a longer-term trend, and I don't see that necessarily going away. Uh, So yeah, that's uh, kind of an interesting thing as far as who could be the beneficiary of it. But then also, at what point does that actually get priced in? Because if everybody knows it, right, it's probably already reflected in the price. So that's, a, that's one of the key things to kind of pay attention to. Uh, in terms of weaknesses, you know, this past week, uh, I think that the inflation numbers, right, a little hot in the U.S. with CPI, consumer prices, PPI, so producer prices, headline was a little hot, but the details were not. A uh, little bit uh, softness there. Then we had some weakness, especially in China, uh, with their inflation numbers. Effectively, it was flat, so there was no inflation for the past month, uh, pointing towards maybe signs of some economic weakness there, industrial production coming out of the Eurozone was also somewhat disappointing. So I would say that you know, broadly from the economic calendar, the, a lot of the weakness was about eh, maybe somewhat higher inflation in the U.S., very low inflation pointing towards economic slowing in China. Uh, and Europe continuing to be, you know, the real laggard. Uh, and also, let's face it, some of the weakness, bonds uh, are supposed to be boring, but they're not. <laughs> A lot of excitement in the bond market with all that volatility. Uh, what were you noticing more from the market's perspective as far as any weaknesses? I was on the uh, LVMH, so Louis Vuitton call, and they highlighted that the local European consumer, so Europe, kind of benefits from a tourist perspective, and the tourists tend to spend more than the local consumer on a, any given ticket. But the local demand has been weak, while tourism has still been strong. Also, certain areas in the United States, they, they highlighted that the American consumer 
isn't deteriorating, but hasn't been strong and doesn't really seem like they're improving. And then from a market's perspective, there's just been this absolute craze with GLP-1 drugs. And while the drug makers like Eli Lilly and Novo Nordisk have been really just shooting the moon, the estimates that analysts have for the uptake for, for some of these injections have gone from like 1 million patients today to about 48 million in a decade. Mm. And what these drugs effectively do, it, it kills your hunger and lower levels of hunger leads to lower food intake. And they've been very successful in uh, treating over overweight, uh, if, if you're overweight. Mm -hmm. But they were really meant to treat diabetes. Mm -hmm. um, the idea that you have lower food intake helps to manage caloric intake and the response from your pancreas. Mm -hmm. What's kind of been interesting is that you've had these analysts extrapolate all of these people taking GLP-1 drugs, and then they're saying things like, well, that means companies like Coca-Cola and Pepsi and Hershey are gonna have significantly smaller addressable markets on a go forward basis because people just won't have those food cravings. Mm -hmm. And similarly, if you have a healthier population, maybe the demand for medical devices drops significantly. So from a weakness perspective, whole areas or industries within the consumer staples and healthcare sectors have been annihilated mm. um, based on these expectations Maybe that's an interesting opportunity to mm -hmm. or interesting time to turn to opportunities because maybe one of the opportunities is some of these out of favor names. Mm -hmm. And just for just for instance, if you look at like Coca-Cola, the U.S. is the largest customer with about 37 percent of sales. But then you have emerging economies like China, Brazil, Mexico and India. Those are significant consumers too. the GLP one craze won't hit them as significantly just based on the overall health of their populations. And at the same time, from a growth perspective, when I'm on these earnings calls, when they're talking about growing addressable markets, it really is more the emerging economies, especially with medical device companies, where they're seeing people's quality of healthcare coverage increase. When you look at opportunities, it's almost like if the market is irrational now mm -hmm. based on the expectation that the uptake in these drugs domestically accelerates exponentially over the next decade, well, maybe it's overestimating the impact on some of these companies, which tend to have resilient demand and growth. Mm -hmm. It's kind of a perfect area to look, in yeah. my opinion. Well, and, you know, maybe some of the concerns about, uh, you know, Coke and Pepsi, if there was some federal legislation for, mid, you know, legalizing marijuana, that could offset some of it, right? So if uh, you got, <laughs> on the one hand, you got this Another drug, opportunity. That's right. Yeah, you got this one, uh, you know, cutting back caloric intake, but then you get the munchies and, you know, maybe that'll help offset it. <laughs> so, uh, Well, what's really interesting, too, is some of our traders, Nick Hillstrom and Jack DeRoche, have done a fantastic job starting to examine names in the consumer staples sector. And there are areas where we would anticipate there would actually be no negative impact from mm. a demand perspective. And they similarly have sold off. So, mm. you know, shout out to those guys on their work. Yeah. And that's 
kind of creating the opportunities for us as we look at individual equity portfolios. Yeah, that's a great perspective. Uh, you know, from an economic perspective, I think one of the opportunities is that you know, maybe the Federal Reserve has been talking a little bit about being on hold as opposed to needing to hike again. But I think that kind of leads to a threat then, which is, well, what if they're a little slow to recognize that there is some economic slowing? So if they recognize the problem late and then they react to it late, as far as you know, history suggests that they've gone through cycles where they hike, hold, then they start to cut, and then the economy goes into a recession. And that's just what's happened uh, you know, a number of times in the past is they hike, hold, cut, and then there's a recession. So by the time they start cutting, it's almost like the damage has already been done. So you know, from that perspective, I think that you know, from a th- pivoting to some of the threats is that you know, third quarter growth was looking good. We're in third quarter earnings season as well. And so that might show a bounce in earnings, but uh, what about fourth quarter and beyond? Uh, I guess I'm a little worried still about uh, what's gonna happen in terms of consumer slowing. I don't know if that feeds into any specific threats that you're looking at. One of the strengths you highlighted, the dollar strength, that mm-hmm. has a significant impact on a go-forward basis with respect to the earnings that might be underappreciated by the market. Just because 40% of S&P 500 revenues come from overseas, Mm -hmm. if you have that stronger dollar, you have a a negative translation effect or or an earnings headwind. So if we continue to see that risk-off trade in the dollar, even if the consumer can hold up, earnings still might disappoint. And to your point, Brian, uh, I find it hard to believe that the consumer isn't at least on a rate of change basis, deteriorating right now. Mm-hmm. Yep. So I, I guess that kind of wraps up the detailed discussion there about the, the SWAT. And, uh, uh, maybe we should do a little summary. Yeah, let's do our headlines, guys. Uh, what is our headline strength this week? So from my perspective, I think that it was really market-related. Classic defensives did their work. Headline weakness. Is the consumer starting to crack or are GLP-1 drugs a magic bullet? <laughs> <laughs> Headline opportunity this week. Well, maybe it's time to start looking at what hasn't worked, but an important third pillar of our process is to wait for trading confirmation because you never know how long these trends can go. And our headline threat. I think the biggest threat is that the Fed is going to be late to the game once again, and then, uh, you know, reality could really bite us. Jason Cooper is a research analyst at Annex Wealth Management, part of the Annex Wealth Management investment team. Thanks for joining us this week. Thank you, Danny. And Dr. Brian Jacobson, chief economist. Thank you. Thank you. Annex Wealth Management, LLC, is a registered investment advisor. For more information about our firm, please visit AnnexWealth.com. The information in this podcast is for educational and entertainment purposes only and is subject to change without notice. The opinions expressed are those of the participants and don't necessarily reflect on those of Annex Wealth Management, LLC. Information presented should not be construed as tax, legal, or investment advice, or a recommendation or a solicitation for the sale of any product or strategy. Listeners are encouraged to seek advice from qualified professionals to determine whether any information presented may be suitable for their specific situation. Investments involve risk. Neither Annex Wealth Management LLC nor its podcast participants shall be liable for losses resulting from decisions based on information or viewpoints presented on this podcast.